Welcome back to another episode of the Up Ten Punks. Today I have another co-host. It is not Paul. <laughs> so everybody fed up with his bicycle and Iron Man and sports stories. Uh, <laughs> you can brief. Uh, today with me is Karen Bowman. She's joined us as a fellow um, uh, host on the podcast. I think it's her first episode, or at least the first episode to be published um, at this moment. And we'll introduce her at the later stage, I believe, um, because she will be leading more or less today's conversation uh, with our guest. And our guest is from Dell Technologies. And let me briefly uh, read her job title out loud again, so I really get it right the first time. It is Director Global Social Impact Customer Engagement in Dell Technologies, Luis Koch with us today. Um, we're delighted and we look forward to an interesting conversation about some topics. Um, and yeah, hi Luis, how are you today? Hello Tim, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm actually uh, really looking forward to do this with, with Karen and not Paul because it means we can skip all these uh, Ironman training parts. Uh, he's, he's a sportsman, so he always kicks off with some... Well, now you talked about Ironman two times, so, uh, so let's yeah, uh, see what you're see, into or let's dive into the topic for today. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much, times I've, uh, how much time I've already spent before. Do you do any uh, training or um, cycling yourself? No, I... I or... Yeah, I do actually. I'm a, I do, a, well, we call it mountain biking, but since we don't have many hills here in Denmark, it's more like cross country. Um, so I love to do that over the weekends. And uh, mm -hmm. and apart from that, actually here in Corona times, since almost a year ago, I've taken up um, outdoor training called power training. So it's a mix of, uh, of running and then doing all kinds of uh, burpees and push-ups and uh, stuff uh, outdoor year round. So I was running in the woods in the dark in winter in the snow. And now it's uh, outdoor in the in the summer forest or by the lake so so that's really nice i love that yeah it's great uh it, it, it sounds it sounds really nature um uh, close to nature uh -huh. uh, yep you as, get very uh, close uh, to nature <laughs> <laughs> in the in the forest <laughs> yeah so you, you 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 spoke about corona times and we always want to know from our guests what's their um you know what kept them sane during these uh months of lockdown when they didn't necessarily uh were able to Yes, uh, well, I'm actually, I'm, yeah, well, I'm I'm still working from home here 15 months after the first lockdown. So mm -hmm. uh, from my home in, in the outskirts of Copenhagen. So so I would say what has been keeping me sane or what I discovered as as one very important uh, thing is to uh, to really not be uh, on calls from eight morning to uh, eight evening. That's not making anybody happy. Um, so, but and making sure that uh, almost every day I, I go for for a walk in the lunch break or walk and talk meeting. Mm. I find that the days where I skip it because I think I'm too busy, I end up being very grumpy at the end of the day. So it's good <laughs> for me. It's good for my family if I go for a walk. Um, and yeah. then we have two uh, lovely cats who are keeping me often company here in the office. So, so that's nice too. That's great. So um, you, you work in Dell Technologies and. Um, you you not just mentioned nature, your cats, your family walks. Is there nothing tech related that you know uh, improves the lockdown experience or has has helped you during these months? Like like some kind of gadget that you bought yourself? 
Uh, well, yes, uh, I did uh, get myself an Apple Watch uh, back in January, I think. So so that's been a nice companion, again, on the training and all the walks to to count the steps. So so that has for sure been uh, been a good thing. I've taken up also listening to more podcasts when I'm walking and uh, and obviously spending a lot of time on my screen and on Zoom and team calls and 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 on one hand, yes, I miss being with like real people uh, in the same room. Uh, on the other hand, I do think it's amazing how we can connect yeah. digitally, like we are now. Um, and for me, on a normal work day, I often start, you know, start with meetings in the morning with my colleagues in Australia or China or Japan, and then across Europe during the day and Latin America, US in in the afternoon and sometimes evening. So, mm -hmm. so, and I think that's definitely learning that that though we all tend to say, oh, it's just a virtual, two-dimensional screen and and somebody there on the screen, but I think we really have to remember that it's a, it is a real person there on the other end that we are connecting to, across thousands of uh, of kilometers sometimes. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, definitely, and it was different when we, you know, um, had our first computers uh, back back in the days. Uh -huh. uh, I remember I shared one computer with my whole family. Um, so we always ask our, ask our guests also this question, what was your first computer and what was your first phone? Because that way we can kind of determine the age of the guests without directly asking. Uh -huh. ah, okay. Yeah, well, let's see how that is. I think the first family computer as well was, it was an Olivetti. I'm not sure if it was what, what was it, 64, 84? I'm not quite sure, but uh, we used to play Pac-Man and Tetris, and it was like with the you know black screen and uh, green, green text or yellow text. So that was the first computer. Mm. Uh, and the first mm. phone, my first mobile phone was in. I, I was a little, I think I was not a first mover on mobile phones. I think I was like 22 or so, um, 21, 22, uh, and that was a Nokia 62. 10, 63, 10, something like that. One of those classics that lasted for for many years, actually. All right. Okay. Yeah, Nokia's coming up quite uh, quite a lot lately. I guess we are um, uh, we're all nostalgic about these little uh, undestroyable bricks, mm -hmm. aren't we? Uh, they were always up. They were always running. The battery was never quite empty. And uh, I think this notion of you know always up, always running is is something very important nowadays as well when you look at data centers and digital infrastructure. And we are the Uptime Punks, um, and we always explain to our guests why we're the Uptime Punks. It's because Uptime is, you know, such a central notion for data centers. It's about mm -hmm. being up and running with the servers, having the services uh, available all the time, 99.999% uh, of all the time. But that's just one definition of Uptime, right? And uh, we would actually like to know from you, well, how do you define this this word uptime? Um, you know, I think you've asked us in before the podcast, what do you mean by uptime? Is it like having a good time? Uh -huh. Yeah. So what, what what's your definition on, on that topic? Well, my definition of, of uptime would be, you know, whether is it positive, high energy, um, for example, yesterday evening, I was at the first concert in a very, very long time with a wonderful Danish um, singer and songwriter. Her name is Coco O. Um, soul, funk, and just a very unique style. So 
So a quite small, intimate concert, and she was she was great. It was amazing. That was a great atmosphere. Uh, I was with my my uh, my partner and uh, and one of his friends and and his um, uh, uh, wife. Um, so we went to the concert and afterwards walked through the streets of Copenhagen. It was a summer, warm summer evening, and had a glass of wine uh, in one of the um, the squares in Copenhagen. So that was definitely up time on Tuesday evening. I can tell you. So, and otherwise, music and dancing and good people, that's up time for me. Okay, yeah, that's a very non-technical uh, definition of up time, but I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it because we often forget about it. Um, yeah, well, downtime is if, is, is if my computer doesn't work. So, so yes, we expect all technology yeah. to be up and running when we need it, right? There's nothing as frustrating as, as when it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think... Um, you know, you were working at Dell. I don't know how many years you've been at Dell now. Um, uh, yes. Said it, you said it before. You are the director, global. Well, you maybe. I can yourself. tell you. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, what, what do, you do, do I do in Dell yeah. Technologies? Yes, exactly. I've been with Dell for, for five years. Um, time flies. And uh, and my role now is, is I'm leading a global programs on social impact sales and customer engagement. And what does that mean? Well, first of all, to us, Social impact is, is our work across the pillars of sustainability, diversity and inclusion, uh, transforming lives with social innovation and technology to build a better world in education, healthcare, uh, and ethics and privacy. That, that's what we define social impact. Um, and of course, we have, uh, as a company, we have and have had for many years very strong programs and goals in this area. And we've been putting out uh, reports also for I think more than 10 years now. Um, but as many companies are realizing there is, you know, one thing is to have a strong program, just like you can have the best product in the world. But if you don't, you know, put it out there in the world, if you don't tell your customers about it, then it's not gonna uh, create much value for the business. Um, and I've been working with CSR, with sustainability uh, for 10, 15 years now. And, and that has always been the discussion, right? What's the business case of CSR? You know, can it, does it really add value for the business? Is it just a nice to have? And and I'm happy to say that finally we have come, you know, to a point where we are way beyond that discussion. To be a sustainable, responsible company is a business imperative, and it is because you you know you need to be a responsible company to attract and retain your your employees, uh, customers, definitely our customers who are large, well, smaller large companies and and public customers. They expect that we as a company are responsible citizens, that we are leading on climate programs and circular economy, etc. So my work is to make sure that we actually take, you know, are able to, to talk about and take our great programs and make it a part of our customer engagements, making sure that our sales teams know about it and can share that message and also supporting when we are actually in, in the weeds of, of the big deals to make sure that we put the right documentation forward to, to make it a differentiator. So that's part of what I do. And then I also engage with our government affairs team with, uh, with policy dialogues uh, in terms of what, what's the role of different sectors in, in creating a more sustainable future. Um, back in the days, I used to be also traveling a lot on, on stage, uh, speaking at different events, uh, sustainability conferences, summits in, in Europe, and, uh, and now we're here virtually uh, instead. So, so, uh, so that's a bit about my, my work in Dell Technologies. 
Great. Thanks, Louise. So Karen, just jumping in here. So I'm the, the newest member, the newest punk uh, to join the team. Um, but I just wanted to talk a bit about you. Thank you for explaining um, your role, because it's a really fascinating one. You're covering so many areas, sustainability, uh, DNI healthcare, and we could spend probably an hour just talking about um, yes, each really. of those. But um, let's talk about, let's take sustainability, because I know that you're doing a lot. There's there's a lot of, um, the world generally is is going through huge kind of waves of, of digital transformation. Mm -hmm. Everything's been accelerated by COVID. Um, but I want to know a bit more about some of the projects you're working on as a global tech company. What are you doing when it comes um, specifically to driving sustainability? Yes, definitely. So, uh, so we have set ourselves a range of ambitious goals for 2030, uh, which is our North Star in terms of where we are going with our sustainability uh, initiatives. Um, and and there is three main focus areas. One is circular economy. The other one is climate and then supply chain responsibility, which is also part of, of how we define sustainability. Um, so within circular economy, we, we have a goal in 2030 that for every product we sell, we'll take back and recycle or reuse or reduce an equivalent product. So really, a, you can say a zero footprint in terms of, uh, of uh, avoiding electronic waste, making sure we can harvest uh, the, uh, the, the spare parts and reuse, extend lifetime of products. And we also have a goal to, to use um, recycled and renewable materials so that we again reduce the footprint of the actual production of our equipment. So we'll be using 100% recycled or renewable materials in packaging by, by 2030. And I'm very confident that it will get there because today we had 87% already. So, so that's, uh, uh, that's, that's almost an easy win. Wow. Um, but those last miles can sometimes be the most difficult, of course. And then in terms of our products, our goal is that more than 50% of all the product content will also be made from recycled or renewable materials. So those are examples of, of what we do in circular economy. Um, and, and I can you know, share a bit about some, some of the materials that we're using in our computers. We've been using a closed loop recycled plastics from old electronics equipment uh, since 2014. So, so recovering plastics from, from the, our take-back programs, and then that's being reused in monitors and desktops, um, actually in a range of our standard products that ship globally. So if you have a Dell monitor or Dell desktop, it's very likely that it has plastics from old computers in it. We also use uh, carbon fiber, which is a waste product from the aerospace industry. So here you can say uh, one industry's waste is another industry's treasure. And mm -hmm. um, the thing about carbon fiber is that it's very lightweight and very strong at the same time. So we use that in our laptops um, and, and, and it has an almost like textile look. So it also adds a nice design feature without putting paint and other stuff, which is not good for recycling. And, uh, and most recently, we launched uh, the first uh, laptops in the world with the bio-based plastic based from a tree waste, um, which is a a waste product com coming from the paper making industry. So we're not cutting down any trees here, but we're actually, again, uh, upcycling a waste product and turning that into bio-based plastic. So, so those are some examples of the materials we're using in our products. Fantastic. Great to, to know about that. I didn't know uh, kind of the extent. And when you said 100% by 2030, but you know, you're already at over, was it 87%? Mm -hmm. 87% on the, on the packaging, yeah. yes. 
It's amazing. Um, especially at the moment, I think everyone's hearing about kind of shortages of shortages of materials, difficulty getting things, difficulty getting parts for, uh, you know, different components. So yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a bit more about some of the other um, initiatives. You also mentioned about, um, we talked about the power of technology driving sustainability and social good. I think there's some interesting stories um, as well. I think WinCloud was one of the stories that mm-hmm. came to mind. Um, so yes. if you want to talk a bit about uh, that, that example. Yes, definitely. And I think, so WinCloud is a customer of ours. Um, some very innovative uh, data center people. So they are on a mission to build the the world's first carbon negative data centers so that actually, you know, capture more CO2 than they send out. Um, So they chose to to use the Dell technology servers because because they they are very energy efficient and, and also because they have this feature that we call fresh air technology, which means that they can actually um, run at up to 40 degrees, 40 or 45 degrees Celsius, which means that you don't need to have so much cooling. Uh, so again, you can save a lot of energy in, in the operations of the data center. So, and then in addition, uh, the WindCloud um, team, they are using the surplus heat from the data center. Instead of trying to cool it down, they're capturing the heat and they're actually using it to grow an algae farm on the top, on, on the roof of the uh, of this, uh, data center. And algae uh, are, of course, very efficient in, in capturing uh, CO2. So, so that's how our, uh, our equipment is helping WindCloud to provide uh, at least one carbon neutral, but aiming for carbon negative uh, data center solutions for customers okay. in, in Germany and the Nordics. Wow, fantastic. Is that the same? That's not the Great Barrier Reef project. That's a different project. Yeah, that's, so that's project. down under in, in Australia. So that's another example of how, you know, how we can use technology to to tackle some of the, the global challenges in the world. Um, so we all know the Great Barrier Reef. And, and if, if you're a scuba divers, it's, it's one of the places to go, right, to explore the, the, uh, the life uh, under the surface. Um, but the Great Barrier Reef is also suffering from from climate changes, from the acidification of oceans, um, so uh, and increasing also hurricanes, uh, severe weather. Uh, but because it's such a, a, a big uh, stretch, um, the uh, the marine, marine protection can't you know they cannot monitor all of it all the time to know where to to best support the reef um, with conservation efforts. So so we worked with uh, with University of Queensland. And together with Intel uh, and an organization called Citizens of the Great Barrier Reef, to uh, to enable actually citizen collection and monitoring of the reef. So so we built a platform together with Intel, uh, enabled um, and with a link where all the people who are out on the reef, whether it's scuba diver boats or fishermen or sailing boats, everybody can go and can help to actually take pictures that are then geo um, geotagged for location upload that to the platform and then others can actually go in. So you could also go in if you wanted to and help them sort and categorize those images, which then helps the, the marine protection uh, services to, um, to use their efforts and their resources where, where they need to, uh, where, they, where there's the most need to recover the reef. So that's a great example of, I think, citizen engagement enabled by technology. 
Oh, I love I love these citizen science uh, projects. Yeah, everyone gets involved, definitely. and then it's like it's open open data as well. Everyone can kind of access um, and see see those photos of results. Um, one other thing, well, a big one for me anyway, close to my heart, is the mm -hmm. the DNI topic, which we haven't come on to yet. Um, we talked about sustainability, but I'd love to use the last few minutes that we have together just yes, to talk sure. about some of those. DNI initiatives. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear from you uh, on that, Louise. Yes. Yeah, so the diversity and inclusion is also a very important pillar of our overall social impact initiatives and, and an area also which is very close to the heart of Michael Dell, our CEO, our found, founder, and, and many of our leaders, or all of our leaders. Um, so, um, so in terms of our moonshot goals for 2030, um, we have a goal that 50% of our team members uh, should be women or people who identify as women in 2030 and 40% uh, of the people leaders. Um, and we are coming from a position now of uh, slightly more than 30% of our team members are women and, and more than 25% uh, of the leaders are women. So, so it's not looking too bad, but there is definitely still more work to do. And this is, of course, a challenge across the tech sector that traditionally there's been more more men uh, engaging in technology and in the sector so we we need to expand um also the talent pool and the pipeline of of people wanting to work in technology so so our our work here on on dni as we call it is is based on on three pillars one is to to build uh, and, and cultivate the workforce of tomorrow by enabling more people to to engage in technology careers. The second is to attract and retain diverse talent and create a, an innovative, dynamic, diverse workforce. And then the third one is to, to partner and amplify our efforts um, in, in society. So one of some of the ways we are building talent uh, for the future is uh, engaging in a range of youth education programs on STEM topics, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, uh, and focusing as well, of course, on, on girls here, young girls and women. And we're also partnering with the historically black universities, colleges and universities in the US, Brazil, the UK. Also, again, to, to support those, uh, especially female candidates, um, to make sure that they, they have a you know, that they come through with their education and, and then um, enable them uh, potentially uh, uh, a career opportunity in Dell Technologies. So that's building the, the talent workforce of tomorrow. And in terms of, uh, of hiring, um, because we need to get to a higher number of female, uh, there is a focus on making sure that we don't have unconscious bias in the, in the hiring process. So we actually take uh, AI uh, in there to help us and make a screen for the uh, the postings that we put out to make sure that they are gender neutral um, and and different other ways of ensuring that that we don't have the gender bias, uh, but really encouraging um, uh, all uh, talents of of all backgrounds to to apply. And then we have a range of of internal programs also uh, with women. Uh, sponsorship programs, mentoring programs. I've been myself mentoring in what's called releasing female potential with young, high talented uh, candidates. And uh, what else do we have? Um, we have our employee resource groups, which is like communities of interest or communities of practice in the workplace where team members can, can join different groups based on their interests. So 
It could be planet for the ones who are passionate about sustainability. It could be pride. It could be um, women in action. It could be mosaic, which is connecting people across cultures and ethnicity. Uh, so many different, actually we have 13 different um, ERGs that people can join. And this is another way of weaving um, an inclusive workspace and also creating more relations and bonds across the company and especially this time where we all still working from home right that we can connect virtually and not only because we need to get some stuff done with our work but because we have a shared passion so so that's that's another way so plenty of other ways we're doing this also lastly let me mention our training on unconscious bias uh, we have a program called be the change that we all uh, where we can all take the training which is also a very much an awareness raising program, very uh, personal as well, because we all have a bias. We all have a perspective based on who we are and where we grew up. Um, so basically, this is, you know, teaching us all to be more aware of what it's like to walk in another person's shoes and knowing that we can never we can never know that. And we also always need to be more and uh, more understanding and, and knowing that we don't know everything. So. Some examples of diversity and inclusion, also a topic I'm very passionate about, as you can tell. That's fantastic. They're great examples. Definitely, I commend you know any company who's going to set ambitious targets like that. I think it's fantastic. It's definitely mm -hmm. a great place to start. But do you think um, just setting a broad target, like saying you know the fifty percent or the forty percent for leaders, are you then looking at well, are we getting enough women in certain types of roles? Are we getting enough women? Um, or people of color or whatever kind of background mm -hmm. it is into different job functions that are maybe underrepresented? How, how are you kind of approaching, how are you going down a bit more into some of those figures? Mm. Yes, so so the way we measure it internally is of course that for each team there is a gender gender rate in the, in the HR system, right? So um, so of course you might find that there is more women in, in marketing and HR, for example, or in sustainability for that matter, or CSR. Um, so, um, but you know, so, so actually that's the other way around that sometimes we need to consider to have more men in, in our teams. Um, but, but yes, this is not only measured overall as, as, a, as a number, it's also measured for the teams or the departments. So if, if they are pockets of, of teams or, or groups internally that are mostly men, then there's definitely a red flag for them to, uh, to change that in the coming years. Yeah, for sure. I think measuring and knowing where you are is, is it's great and it's important um, if you're going to really um, tackle uh, these yes, issues head definitely. on. So what you can yeah, measure, sure. you can manage. Great. Fantastic. Louise, I think we have to wrap up there. Thank you so much mm -hmm. um, for joining, uh, for joining us today, Tim and I. Thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. Great to meet you. You too. Thanks, Louise. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Louise. Bye-bye. Thank you.